Hallelujah. We are in a book studying, uh, in a study, studying the book of Ephesians, and uh, I'd like you to turn to chapter 2. Last week we began in chapter 1, and we saw that Paul is writing this to the Gentiles or the nations. And what he wants them to understand is they belong in the economy of God, in the house of God. Because there's really a difficult transition taking place in the kingdom of God. They're moving from the old covenant with uh, sacrifices of lamb, bulls, and goats in the temple to the new covenant where the blood of Christ satisfies all judgment on sin. And so the Jews are a little confused as to how that's supposed to take place. Because they understand that you should be circumcised and follow the law and obey and come sacrifice. The Gentiles are finding out that they want to be saved and come to Christ and want to know this salvation, but the Jews really don't want to accept them unless they properly convert under Judaism. Paul is writing this epistle to tell them, you belong. Gentiles, you belong to the household of faith and the household of God. What we saw last week is that Paul went all the way back to before time began and said God had a predestined plan that there would be an age he would open salvation to all men, whosoever would. And that predestined plan was found in Christ Jesus. He is the hope of the nations, the only name by which men can be saved, and that in this dispensation it is a time to herald all people of all nations, of all tongue and tribes, come in to the wedding banquet, come in to salvation. God had planned this from the beginning. Now, if God planned it, he's going to execute it and make it come to pass. So we now come into chapter 2, where he's speaking to the Gentiles. And again, I reiterate, he wants them to understand that they belong here. They belong in God. But he first has to tell them where they've been. And so if you'll look at chapter 2, starting at verse 1, let me read it to you. And he tells them of their condition. And you were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out our desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now, he specifically lets the Gentiles know that really there was two problems with you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? And you walked following the course of the world. And secondly, you were being led by the prince of the power of the air or the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, the god of this age, Satan. So as Gentiles outside of the salvation of the Old Testament... We were lost, dead in our sins. If you'll remember, what did God tell Adam and Eve? The day you eat this fruit, you shall surely what? Die. And so they died spiritually. They became blind to God and walked after the patterns of disobedience. Put it to you this way. It's like having a ring in your nose being led by a rope by the devil. God had given man dominion, but our lust and our desires were activated through the temptations of the devil to basically lead us unto our own sins and unto our own lusts. 
right? So we self-medicated. We satisfied the lusts and the desires, and we did not follow the ways of God. In fact, we were actually spiritually dead to God, blind and could not find Him. He then goes on, and in, in Corinthians he even says that we were blinded by the God of this world to where we could not see the light of the glorious gospel. That's the condition of folks round about us. People in this world are lost. They're dead. Many of us get frustrated with them because we tell them spiritual truths, but guess what? Spiritual truths have to be spiritually discerned, and they're spiritually dead. So many times we have to show them by our actions the love of God. We have to care for them beyond a spiritual truth and be that truth for them. We have to care for the sick, care for the poor, cast out demons, pray against what the devil's doing in people's lives. He's got them bound. And so we have to do that. Now what's interesting is Paul then goes on and includes himself as a Jew to the lusts of the flesh. He says this, He says, among them whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, who were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So he's even saying the Jews, though they were given the oracles of God, they were given the covenants of God and promises, they were given the word of God, but what did they still do? Sinned. Still sinned. And of course, Romans tells us all about that. That there are none righteous, no, not one. God gave the law to the Jews so that he could help them even understand. Apart from God, there's no righteousness. They could do nothing. They can't fulfill that law. And they sinned. So he's letting them know, all of us were sinners. All of us failed God. All of us missed the mark. That's the condition we were all in. And I love this next statement. And he says, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you've been saved. Thank God for God. (laughs) We thank God, don't we? We were lost. We were blind. We were dead. And he brought life to us. He brought life to us. But God, God so loved the world that he gave his son. So loved God, us. And remember uh, from chapter 1, he in the very, before the beginning of time, had predestined to demonstrate his love to the world through Jesus Christ, his son. He had given glimpses of it to Adam and Eve. He said, the seed of the woman shall crush the serpent's head, and it shall bruise his heel. It was a a preview of what Christ would do, that predestined time when salvation would come to rescue mankind. It was in the preview to Abraham. If you'll remember, he said, Abraham, your seed shall be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand in the earth. Now, he wasn't just speaking of the physical birth of Jews, but we know that he was also speaking of the birth of the children of God by faith. As Paul tells us, we belong and are now called the children of Abraham. So God had promised this salvation from the beginning, and here it is. And Paul's saying, God came to us when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Grace 
has saved us. How many of you are thankful for grace? Amen. Now let's go on. Look at this. Verse 6. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Now, come on. That is a bit of a transfer from being dead in trespasses and sin to be seated in heavenly places. How many of you know that's a bit of a promotion, wouldn't you say? That is one heck of a promotion. Now, let me help you understand being seated in heavenly places. As I began to study this and research this, I always thought of sitting with Jesus and so forth on his lap and being in that heavenly place or sitting next to him on that throne. And what I began to recognize in the language is this is what happens in a king's court. When you go before a king, there's typically the king's throne and there is then what? The queen's throne. We're seated with Christ as the bride of Christ with him. We will rule and reign with Christ. We're the bride. We're seated with him in heavenly places. How many of you know that? I don't think the church knows that. I don't think the church gets that. The church stays in a place of, well, we're just sinners saved by grace. I'm not perfect, just forgiven. Man, you need to get, there's the, you need to get the elevator up to the top floor. We need to go up. Our sins are forgiven. Our sins are removed. And we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And we, I love this, we will be the trophies of His grace. Look at this verse he says in verse 7. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. What he's saying is in these coming ages, he's talking about the dispensation that is just beginning right then. He's preaching the beginning of the church age, right? He's talking to Israel who doesn't quite understand the shift now into the new covenant through faith in the blood of Jesus. And he's talking to Gentiles who in former times were completely dismissed from this. In Acts 17, Paul said at one time God winked or dismissed you. And now there's a new covenant and he says in this coming age, God is going to show his riches of grace in us and through us. So that Paul also says a little later, we will be instructing the angels in this ministry of love, in the wisdom of God. So what he's doing in this coming age that was predestined from the beginning of time through Christ, this open door for all to come into salvation, is he's going to begin showing off the mercies of his grace. He's going to begin demonstrating it through this entire church age about grace, grace, and how good God's grace is. Amen? Amen? Somebody get happy with me. Because what happened, look at, I want to tell you something. We've got trophies right here. Every time he saves someone, he's showing the marvels of his glorious grace. Would you agree with me? All right. All right. Everybody that was once addicted to alcohol or drugs, stand up. Now you're, del- but got delivered. Stand up. Come on. Doesn't anybody want to boast? Somebody boast. Somebody boast. Come on, somebody show off God's riches. Amen. Amen. This is, <laughs> amen, you may be seated. That's crazy, isn't it? See, we're to boast. We're to be boasting out in this world. I got delivered. All right? 
All right, let's keep boasting. Let's boast in the graces of God. Let's boast in the riches of God. Everybody that used to lie a li- was a liar. Stand up. Come on. You got delivered. Grace is here for you. Grace is here for you. Come on, boast in God. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. See, you used to lie, but you don't have to lie anymore because you serve the king of truth. You're boasting in the grace. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, I want you to know it. I want you to see it. I want all in this age, everyone to know the grace of God. We could keep going, couldn't we? What other, what other sins could I say we've been delivered from? This morning I had to lump a bunch of them together because people were a little bit shy. They didn't want to stand up on some of them. But see, this is what happens with our testimony. We've got something to say to a world that is bound and lost. When you stand up and say, I've been delivered by God's grace, someone out there says, I need that too. He said he's going to put us on display in such a display so that the angels, we'll cover this later in our study, so that it will reveal the mystery and wisdom of God to the angels in the things they desire to look into. This is awesome, isn't it? It's wonderful. This is the grace of God bestowed to us. And so let's take a look at grace. Let's understand what grace is. He goes on to explain it just a little bit more. Saved by grace. Now, let's look at it, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace is unmerited favor. It is the mercy and favor of God bestowed on us. Not because you're so beautiful. Not because you're all that. But because He is. Because of his love for us. This is amazing. Grace is given to you and I. Look at, we couldn't even respond without him waking us up. We were dead to him. We were dead. We didn't even recognize. We were dead to him spiritually. He even imparted the gift of faith to us so that we could respond to him in love. He wakened us up. And he set us in this earth that is so gorgeous and so beautiful. And we began to understand there must be a God. And as he's waking us, we begin to respond to the grace of God. He said, not by works, lest any man should boast. There'll be no boasting when we get to heaven. Uh, look what I did. Look what you did. Look at me. Boy, someone's got to tell some of the folks in the church this. Right? Bless God. Hallelujah. If you understood all the things that I've done, you'd be amazed. Right? There's this kind of attitude some people have. There'll be no boasting in heaven, in the presence of God. But pastor, what about the Bema seat of Christ, the the judgment seat of Christ? For we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Our works will be exposed as to what they are, gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, and stubble. But can I tell you something? When our works go before God... Some of you are worried you'd be standing behind Paul. You're going like, oh man. (laughs) Figures. Could we go alphabetically? I ain't standing behind him. I'm going to look terrible. 
But I want you to know when that fire burns off those works and what God did in people's lives and what was used, what's going to happen is no one's going to boast about it. No one's going to say, yeah, look at that. Oh. <laughs> Me and Jesus, baby. <laughs> no, what we're going to recognize is it's all to the glory of God. It's what God did with us. And we'll recognize He gets all the glory. No flesh will glory in His sight. This grace is a wonderful thing to demonstrate. Why are we competing with each other in this grace? There should be no competition. When someone's struggling, encourage them so grace will come alive in them and they'll get victory over it and we can both celebrate the goodness of God. Amen? No competition here. We're one with each other to demonstrate. This is our job, to demonstrate the grace of God in our lives. Amen? Oh, what a privilege to declare the goodness of God throughout our lives. And Paul is trying to tell the Gentiles, look at I know where you were. I know where you've been, what you were doing and all the filth and everything. But you have now been called to be a trophy of grace. You've been called unto God to manifest this grace to a dying world and to declare how loving God is. Invite them in. Invite them in. Come on in. That's what God is saying. Through Paul here. Now, let's look at what happens. He says this in verse uh, 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These good works that God called us to walk in were ordained. And we've become His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. Now, let's not be confused. We understand our salvation is by what? Grace through faith, right? We can't boast about getting saved. We can't boast about being good that God wanted me better than you. No, 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 no. We can't boast about any of that. That's God's call. God's given us this grace. But once we've been saved, now what's our purpose? To do good works. In other words, to demonstrate that grace that was given to us that we would demonstrate it. We've become His workmanship to do good things in Christ Jesus, which He has already predestined for us to do. Do you know what that tells me? This is an awesome thing. One of my favorite verses is found in Acts when Stephen's talking about David. And, and uh, he's being, you know, he eventually gets martyred, uh, the deacon Stephen. And, and what he says is this, David fulfilled his purpose to his generation and died. See, this says you were created in Christ to do good works which he has already predestined for you to do. Do you know what that tells me? John Wesley was made for the 1700s. Martin Luther was made for the 1500s. You were made for 2013. Amen? You were made for this day and this hour. God had planned for you to be a work of his grace to the nations now. At this time, in this time in world history, every one of you who belongs to Jesus Christ is meant to be here for this time to fulfill His purpose in your generation. We're His workmanship, amen? Praise God. Uh, you know, that's another thing. How could we put down somebody else in the body of Christ when that other person is His workmanship? What are we ultimately saying? If I, if I diss you, I'm dissing him. 
because you're his workmanship, right? Now, uh, I have a couple degrees in art, and, and I'll tell you what, I don't like to show sometimes some of my pieces too soon because people don't get it. You know, you're working on a sculpture or on a painting, you're doing an underlay, and it just doesn't look that good, right? Right? Until you get it to the place where those colors underneath really pop and you, they had to serve a purpose. You had to lay a foundation. Some of us, brothers and sisters, are in the underlay. Some of us are in the stage where we're just getting molded. We're just getting shaped. We can't put each other down for that. We've got to wonder and see what's God going to do with them. Amen? Amen. Now, we have become his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Paul is encouraging the nations, the Gentiles who are coming to salvation. He said, I want you to know you belong. This is something of a plan that God had from the beginning of time. You belong here. But we don't feel like we belong. Israel won't accept this. Do we need to be circumcised? Do we not need to be circumcised? We don't know. And so he goes on and he explains it this way. He says, remember, therefore... That at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Basically, that's what he's saying. You you understand, folks, uh, the Jews are trying to figure out this new economy of God, this transition, let's understand something. You were not part of the covenant. You were not with God and given the promises. You were afar off. In fact, he labels them three things. They were the uncircumcised, strangers to the covenant, and afar off. And so what he's telling the Gentiles, us, what our condition used to be is this. He says we were uncircumcised. Okay, so the That was the covenant sign to be a child of Abraham. You want to receive the blessings of Abraham, you needed to be circumcised. That's the old covenant. And Gentiles, you were not. Okay? And so there was this distinction between those circumcised and those not circumcised. So there is a true distinction here. And that's what you're up against. Secondly, you are strangers to the covenant. God made the covenant with Israel through Moses, gave them the law, gave them the covenant sign, the Sabbath, And you folks were not part of that promise. Ah, but there was a promise before the beginning of time that we're a part of, but not yet. And so that's what they're saying. And then he said, last of all, you were afar off. Now that's a term of an analogy in in Jewishness, in Hebrewness, (laughs) in Israel, (laughs) in in this sense that God was in the center of his people. When he built the tabernacle, his presence was in the Ark of the Covenant, and they surrounded it, and they were close to God, right? Judaism is a very literal, physical manifestation of spiritual things. So they were close to God. Well, amen. Then the tabernacle came, or the temple. Once the temple came, uh, and God's presence was in the temple, right? What were, the Jews were close, but where were the Gentiles? Afar off. So they were known as being afar off from God, far away from God, because God was in the midst of Israel. And they were uncircumcised, and they were covenant strangers. So this caused a divide between Israel, God's people, and Gentiles, the nations. 
But what was God's plan ultimately? His plan was to use Israel to be a light to the Gentiles to reveal God to them. And so Messiah came through Israel, through the Jews, to be that light. But many Jews did not understand it or get it. And so there is a schism or a wall built between the two. He goes on and he says this in verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. There is a way in which God brought Gentiles and Jews together in one new man. It's not that he made the Gentiles get circumcised, come close to the temple, and enter into the covenant promises. No, no, no. What he did is because, as I said in Romans, it explains, all have sinned, and the law is not sufficient to save. All those promises given to Israel, they were to hold them. They were entrusted with those promises till Messiah came and gave them to the world. You see, it's through the blood of Jesus that we are all saved. So what he did in such an amazing way is he broke down the wall of hostility between the two because here's the separation. And the Jews are saying, if you want to come over here and get close to God, you got to come to Judaism. But what God did is said, no, no, Judaism brought Christ to the midst of this thing and made the two become one through the cross. It is the cross of Christ. So now this is what is the whole mystery that had been revealed through Christ. It's the difficult time. Now I want you to grasp this. Many times we don't get this in understanding the New Testament and reading it. What a lot of times we don't see is the difficulty for Israel to shift their understanding of salvation. You know, imagine that. I mean, all their lives, they've understood circumcision, the law, the the temple, the sacrifices. This is salvation. This is our covenant. Now Messiah comes, and He is the fulfillment of the law. He fulfilled it perfectly, so it is obsolete now. And His blood satisfied the judgment of God against sin, so there's no more sacrifice. And there is no need for circumcision because by what He did through dying on the cross, He cleansed us of sin so the Spirit can now come in and circumcise us internally. And fulfill all those things that it looked like. But for the Jew, they got to go, okay, no, so now, in order for me to be saved, I've got to come to Jesus. That's a bit of a difficulty for them, isn't it? We all sit and read the Bible and say, what's the problem? How come they didn't accept the Messiah? I did. That's a tough transition, and Paul understands it. How many of you know Paul was beaten? Paul was stoned? Because they couldn't make this transition. Now, here's the transition for the Jews who are a people seeking God and righteousness and now there's Gentiles being saved. Wait a minute, you want me to go to to a church? You want me to gather in a room with them? They're dogs. 
These people eat with their hands. They eat blood. They do all sorts of things. They're blind and dumb. That's what Gentiles were, right? But you see, God made a way of salvation for all mankind through Christ. Because whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, there's none righteous, no, not one. You must all come through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me add something else to you for your Bible knowledge. And, and uh, a lot of the areas of Scripture where we talk about apostasy, those falling away from the faith, is really speaking of those Jews who did not know how to cross over into Christianity. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. It's written to whom? Oh, you guys are sharp. You guys are sharp. It's written to the Hebrews. It's written to the Jews. Hebrews 6 is all about those Jews who, having the covenant, have tasted the Spirit of God in their lives and in their encampment and in the presence of God at the tabernacle and everything. They reject Christ. You can't, you can't find. They're falling away. That's where apostasy shows up in the New Testament. Uh, not necessarily the New Testament believer filled with the Spirit then falling away and losing the Holy Spirit. It's the Jew who never makes the transition into the New Covenant. They become apostate or they fall away. That's really the key to this. So it's interesting, but here Paul is saying, and what he's saying to the Gentiles, hey, he's saying it to us. You belong. You are now not Jew, there is therefore now no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. We are all what? One in Christ Jesus. The dividing wall is separated. It's broken down. God forbid any of us who begin to put dividing walls between us in the body of Christ. What Christ has become is our peace. How could we build a wall up? Let me ask you something. How, how can we have racial, racial, sorry, racial prejudice? I can't talk. My teeth are. How can we have racial prejudice in the church, in the body of Christ? How can that exist? Can somebody tell me that? That is of the flesh. That is sin, right? How about economic differences? Rich and poor. James talks about that. Honoring the rich. Come sit up front. Come sit up front. Yes, here we go. We'll put the plate up here first, okay? Right? How can we have this? How can we build walls of any kind in the church, in the body of Jesus Christ? How can we do this? And we do it all the time. Well, they're Methodists. We're Pentecostals. <laughs> Praise God. They're Baptists. Yeah, I heard they're, uh, yeah, they're. Look, at if they believe in the blood of Jesus Christ, these walls need to come down, amen? Who are we to erect new walls? You are one new man. If God had to do that and could do that, accomplish that between Jew and Gentile to make them one new man, and Paul is that classic example of the one new man, then we must do this as the body of Christ in this day and in this hour. This is the hour he's demonstrated grace to all nations, all tribes, all tongues, right? How did John know that when he was looking in the book of Revelation at the worship around the throne and he said every tribe and every tongue was worshiping God, how did he know that? Because he could see their tribal colors, their skin color, their different languages around the throne. You with me? All right, not everybody's going to be, everybody has to get saved as a Pentecostal to go to heaven. 
No. Not everybody has to be white to go to heaven. Right? See, now I'm preaching, and, and, and we've got to preach the kingdom of God, right? Everybody's got to become black to go to heaven. Nobody's responding to me. Everybody's got to be Chinese to go to heaven. Then what are we doing down here? Why are we in such a mess? We're building walls. And God said, I destroyed every wall through the cross, through the blood. There's only one entrance, and everybody's invited. Everybody's invited. That's the message of Ephesians 2. This grace is so awesome that everyone is invited in, that there is only one man, one new man in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's conclude. Hallelujah. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Hallelujah. You belong. You belong. You belong with all the Old Testament saints. And once Christ came, we belong as one people in Jesus Christ. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole new man, in the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. We've been joined to Christ, our cornerstone. The apostles and prophets, there's one body of Christ. And in your, as we're in that body, we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. No Jew, no Gentile. One new man in Christ Jesus. Gentiles, the gospel is open to us all. You come on in. And that's the start of the church of God. Hallelujah. A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You belong. You belong. The Gentiles were wondering where they fit into this new move of God. They fit in fully. We fit in and we will inherit all. That is Christ's. And we will be joint heirs with Christ in all these things. That's awesome, isn't it? So this is the day and the age you belong to the kingdom of God. You are seated on a throne with Jesus Christ in the heavenlies. Therefore, brothers and sisters, let's demonstrate this grace to all people. Let's demonstrate this grace that was shown to us, to everyone else. Do you got someone to invite into this? Do you know anybody you could invite into the kingdom of God? right? I'm not talking about to church. Praise God. Bring them to church. That's a wonderful thing. But do you know anybody that needs to be invited into the kingdom of God? Hallelujah. The door's open for them. The door's open for them. It doesn't matter what their sin, what their failure, what is going on. Look at He saved you and me. Fling open the doors of grace to a dying world and tell them to come. They belong. The blood of Jesus has cleansed him. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads.